Good morning, church. It is so great to be with you. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to begin with a bit of a family moment. Uh, we have been talking about something called Adopt-A-Family for a little bit now. And uh, if you're fairly new with us, you may not realize this is the first year we've ever done this. And so if you're like, oh, yeah, this is an annual tradition, it will be, but we're currently in year one of one. And so coming into this year, we had no idea. This was just like, hey, we think this is a good idea. Let's try it. Um, but there's two big unknowns with this. Number one, uh, will we find enough families that want to be in the program to be adopted? And number two, if we find those families, will our church step up and adopt them? And, and you know, the, it only works if you get both ends of this equation. And so we set a goal internally. We didn't know what to expect, but if we could get 175 families in the program and adopt it, we said that would be a huge win uh, for the first year of doing it, when again, you guys didn't even know what this program was because it's brand new. So uh, on the first end uh, of recruiting families, we ended up uh, recruiting 182 families that wanted to be in the program, which is that half of the equation, which then we went, okay, we got 182, that's amazing, can we adopt them? And I'm pleased to announce we have adopted 182 families. So way to go, church. In fact, we have more of you than we have families to adopt. More of you who have said, yeah, we're in. Give us a family. We're like, we don't have any. We, we have adopted every single family. And so I just want to applaud you. Uh, you are giving yourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And there are, will be 182 families this Christmas who will tangibly experience the good news of the gospel because you guys are deciding you're gonna make it good news for them. And I wanna say, way to go. I am so proud of us as a church that we are doing this. We are living out this mission statement and it's amazing to be a part of uh, with you. Uh, my family has adopted a family and we're looking forward to, to doing that as well. I also wanna let you know, around this time of the year, uh, if you are a, a family member with us, so you're one of the, the regulars, uh, you help us do the ministry here. Uh, if you financially support this church, you hopefully got a letter from me uh, this week uh, letting you know that, hey, at the end of the year, a lot of people are looking at end of the year donations and what they wanna do. Um, we're just gonna ask you to prayerfully consider a sacrificial gift at the end of the year. What you may not know and what we don't talk about often, but our week-to-week -week giving uh, does not cover the weekly expenses to do the ministry that we do as a church. We rely on end-of-the-year sacrificial gifts from a lot of you guys to cover us for the next year. And so if you believe in this church, you believe in the ministry that we're doing, and you wanna invest yourself into the kingdom through the local church, I wanna just encourage you, prayerfully consider that. Prayerfully consider uh, what you can do and, and how God could use you this Christmas, uh, and we wanna join you with that in generosity. So. That's what we're doing. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Shout out to those who are watching or listening online. We're glad that you guys are here as well. And if you would get your, your journals out, we are in week two of our Unexpected series. And Unexpected, we're looking at the cycle that you can explain the Christmas story through, but also that we can find ourselves in this cycle. And so each week, you're gonna realize that, that you resonate with different aspects of this. So in your journal, go to week two, and again, we encourage you, write things down. Write down what God is communicating to you, verses that we talk about, and you can use this for your own study or for your life group or uh, just to remember later as you look back on these notes. In our Bibles today, we're gonna be in Luke chapter two. And so Luke is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, third book in. I encourage you to get a physical uh, Bible out if you brought one with you and get your Bible open to that spot. If you've got a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out as well. We love for you to read scripture uh, for yourself as we read it together. Uh, and again, just encourage you in the habit of diving into uh, the Bible for yourself. 
Now, we've been looking at this cycle. We began it last week, and, and we're spending this month looking at, uh, again, a, a, just a different way of explaining the Christmas story. And so I wanna uh, go back to this cycle. Last week, we talked about how when you have bad news in your life, things aren't the way they should be. This creates a longing inside of you. Now, if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go online. You can watch it online or listen to it, and there's a number of options to do that. But we talked about how the bad news in our lives leads us to create a longing for something more. Now, today we're gonna talk about is when that longing naturally turns into expectation. Okay, here's what I want to happen. What would that look like? What am I hoping would happen with the longing inside of me? Now, next week we're gonna talk about how that expectation can often lead to disappointment. When people don't live up to your expectations or God doesn't live up to your expectations or you were expecting this and then this happened, what do you do then? And so we're gonna look at that next week. Then our Christmas service, uh, we'll talk about how disappointment can either lead to bad news and you start the cycle all over again or unexpectedly can lead you to good news when you realize that Jesus is in the midst of all of this. And that's the story of Christmas. And so again, I wanna encourage you, invite friends and coworkers and family members and neighbors uh, to a Christmas service with your family. And we would love to show a whole bunch of people that in the midst of any disappointment, in their life, that there is good news in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're gonna celebrate. And that week will stand alone on its own. Uh, and so I encourage you to be bringing people and be thinking about that. Now today I wanna talk about this longing that we have and how it shapes uh, our expectations. Now our expectations then shape our responses. And so we respond to one another based on the expectations that we have. Now I can illustrate this. I was uh, driving my kids to school the other day and our three oldest were in the back seat. And, and as I'm driving them to school, I'm overhearing a conversation that they're having. And I don't know if you ever listened in on your kids' conversations, but it's rather interesting. And so I listened to one of my kids explain to two of his siblings the rules that he has if they wanna sit on his bed, okay? Now he had thought this through and he was very confident in laying out these rules to his siblings. So. I'm like, this sounds interesting. I'm curious, what are the rules? Now, there's only two rules, and they're pretty simple. Rule number one, you had to be wearing pants. No underwear on his bed. <laughs> He's very clear on this one. Look, I do not want underwear. You better be wearing pants if you're on my bed. Have to have pants on. I thought, that seems fair, you know? Uh, so that was rule number one. Rule number two is he said, and guys, no tooting on my bed. None of that. He's like, you cannot do that. And so again, okay, that seems fair, you know? And, and so he's like laying these rules out. And then without skipping a beat, one of his siblings says, uh, you don't follow those rules on your own bed. <laughs> to which he said, uh, it's my bed. And I thought, he's got a point there. I loved how he could articulate so clearly, these are my expectations. And if you wanna sit on my bed, here are my rules and here are my expectations. And if you don't follow those, he's not going to respond well to you. Now, he had a moment of insight that most of us don't have. It's hard for us to articulate our expectations. But what we have to remember is the expectations are there and they shape the way that we see the world. You cannot help but see the world through your expectations. I'm gonna illustrate this for you. I'm gonna show you a picture of a manger scene, okay, of the nativity. And I want you to, to look at it and then notice something that doesn't belong there, okay? Here's the photo. What doesn't belong in this photo? Shout it out if you see it. Yoda, who sees Yoda? You're going, oh. Now, let's unpack this for a moment, okay? Um, this only works 
if you have the right expectations. So you're, you're working on a set of expectations. You have expectations for who should be in the nativity scene, right? You're like, yep, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong. Whoa, flag that guy. What's up with that guy? He doesn't belong. But you also have expectations of if you know who that is, you're like, oh, that's a Jedi Master Yoda. He belongs in a different story. So you have a different set of expectations for him. Now, if you don't know who Yoda is and you don't know who belongs here, all you're gonna look at and go, hey, what's up with the little guy? He's green, he looks a little sick. Is that guy okay? Like, you don't know what's happening. You might wonder. Uh, but, but otherwise, if you know those, your expectations allow you to see what doesn't belong. And this is the way expectations work, even if you wouldn't naturally articulate it like that. Now, as I was thinking about this, here's one of the lines that, uh, that I wrote down, and I encourage you to write this down. You only realize your expectations if they are met or broken. That is when you often go, oh, that's what I'm expecting to happen. And unlike my son, rarely do we have these moments where we can so clearly explain to others, this is what I'm expecting to happen. Now, that could be an expectation of God, an expectation of people around you, but most of the time, we don't know what we're expecting until someone meets our expectations and we go, oh, that is what I was expecting to happen. I didn't realize that. Or they don't. They break it. And then all of a sudden, you have that response, that reaction to them. But instead of just hoping that we, we you know, land at a good set of expectations, today we're gonna look at how do we shape healthy expectations? How do we learn to go, okay, I have bad news that has led to longing and I'm going to take this longing and shape it into a healthy expectation of God and of others. So let's look at, at Luke chapter two. And we're gonna read uh, a, a story. Again, if we're in this month, we're, we're not chronologically going through the birth of Jesus, okay? And, and so we're gonna tell the story of the birth of Jesus at Christmas as well. Uh, but last week, it was before his birth. Now, in this story, he's already born, he's a baby, and Mary and Joseph are going to take Jesus, the baby, to the temple. Now, we're gonna see what happens um, shortly after he's born. Here's what it says in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, this is Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now you talk about a guy with expectations. Simeon is waiting around for the Messiah, literally so he can die. I mean, we don't know how old he is, but the, the clues and you know, the details of the story would indicate he's prob probably elderly. He's waiting to die. He's lived a full life, but there's one more thing on his bucket list, and until he sees the Messiah, he's not ready to die. And literally, the, the, the language that, that Luke uses here in Greek is the language of a slave being released. 
okay? So he has this burden, this weight upon him. He cannot die until he sees the Lord's Messiah. You talk about an expectation. And, and so he's going to the temple looking to see the, the, the Messiah. Now, we learn in this that the Holy Spirit is on Simeon. Now, this is notable. I, I talked about last week that the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament is more than 400 years. So for 400 years, the Holy Spirit has not been active in people's lives. And, and so we, we read this, and we often don't realize the significance. Now, the Holy Spirit is not readily available to everyone as it is today until after Jesus' resurrection. So before Jesus' resurrection, when you read the Old Testament, understand the Spirit of God did not dwell inside of people like the Spirit of God does today. This is unique to us, but you have to go back in time. So whenever you read before Jesus' resurrection that someone is filled with the Spirit, that is a very notable thing to be said of them. It did not happen often in that day. And so Simeon has the Holy Spirit upon him, and he's shaping his expectations based on the role of the Holy Spirit. Now notice what Simeon says about the Messiah. Who, who is he gonna provide salvation for? In verse 31 he says, in the sight of all nations. Now, we may be confused. Well, who, who's he referencing there? Verse 32 he clarifies, to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now this is a Jewish way of saying Israel and everyone else, okay? And so if you're curious, Who's this? That's all nations. Like he's saying it emphatically. Now this is notable because most people were, were living in Israel in that time. They're experiencing bad news. They have a longing and their conclusion is God will raise up a, a Messiah from Israel for Israel. That's all they really cared about. God will raise up a Messiah. The bad news that we deal with, the longing that we have, God will raise up a Messiah for us and fix our problem. And here Simeon says, no, 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 that's not what this Messiah is gonna do. He's going to be for all nations. This is a, a Messiah coming from Israel, but not just for Israel, for the world. It's a totally different expectation that he has. Now, he's talking about some good news here. Like, this is gonna be amazing. You can imagine Mary and Joseph hearing all this. But he says that in addition to all this, this salvation is gonna come at a high price. See, Simeon is that friend of yours that tells you when your zipper's down or when you've got something on your face. That's Simeon. He's like, hey, Mary and Joseph, oh, salvation's gonna come through this child and it's gonna be a, a heavy price. And you can just imagine, you know, the, the note changing. This is not something you would normally say to parents who just had a child. Like, hey, let me forecast some ominous, you know, predictions over your baby. But this is what Simeon does immediately. Salvation is coming, but the cost will be great. And then notice their reaction in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. This is interesting because this is Mary and Joseph who have already heard directly from God. They know what's going on. They're aware of the role that they have to play. They're aware of who Jesus is. He has been supernaturally conceived. They're aware something is happening. But when they listen to Simeon talk, they're going, Oh, wow. And they are marveling at what's being said because Simeon is helping them to adjust their expectations. This is amazing that even Mary and Joseph, with all they understood about God in this story, do not fully understand yet. 
And so Simeon, by the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, is explained to them, hey, let me help you understand who Jesus is and, and what kind of a salvation he's gonna bring. It's not just for Israel. This is salvation for the entire world, and it's gonna come at a price, and they are marveling at what he's saying. As I thought about that, I realized this is the role of the church today, that we are to be those people for others where we help them adjust their expectations. Hey, here's what you're expecting out of life. Let me help you adjust that and and, and aim that at God. Let me help you adjust your expectations so you see what God could do in this story and not just what you could do. You see, this is what we always need someone in our life to help us adjust expectations. Even Mary and Joseph needed it. And Simeon provided that. Now, in our own lives as well, and even on simple things, we, we know this is true, that we get the wrong expectations about things until someone points it out. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Uh, I think about a few years ago, back in Arizona, we were uh, one night watching a Yankee game as a family. We're diehard Yankees fans, and so we have the MLB package, and we watch every game that we can if we're around, and, and we've got nothing else going on. And so one night, we're gathered around watching the Yankees win, and it was a good game, and the Yankees scored a lot of runs. And, and about dinner time, th- there was this announcement on the TV that, hey, the Yankees scored six runs, so Papa John's has some deal, and it was some crazy deal because the Yankees scored six runs. And, you know, Michelle and I look at each other, we're like, Pizza kind of sounds good right now. Let's do it, you know? And so she gets on the phone and calls our, our Papa John's on the street. She's like, hey, um, I, I saw the deal. I would like to go ahead and get this. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? She's like, you know, the, the deal that you guys are having right now, I would, like to, I would like to get that. He's like, that's not a deal. And she's like, uh, I just saw it on TV. That's what triggered this. That's why we were thinking about this. And he goes, you saw that deal on TV? She's like, yeah. He's like, what were you watching? She's like, well, it's the Yankee game. The Yankees scored six runs, and the dude starts laughing. And he goes, we're in Arizona. Yeah. He's like, that's only for New York Papa John's. We don't honor the Yankees in Arizona. (laughs) Why not? You know, like, I think you should. Everybody should. But we had to adjust our expectations. We thought, yeah, Yankees win. The world rejoices together. (laughs) It doesn't work like that, in case you were wondering. And I can only imagine what this guy said to his coworkers once he got off the phone with my wife of like, check this out. They thought, you know, I don't know. But, but we all have those moments where you expect something and someone else has to come in and go, yeah, that's not a good expectation. That's not a healthy expectation. And when it comes to God, this is the role of the church, that we come alongside people and go, hey, let me help you adjust that. Let me help you figure out what you should be expecting. And this is an incredible role that Simeon does for Mary and Joseph as they have their little baby Jesus. But go back to chapter two and go to the next verse, verse 36, because they're gonna meet someone else that's also gonna have a profound impact on them. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Now again, incredible details Luke is including here. Notice what he calls Anna calls her a prophet. Now, I talked about, there had been 400 years of silence, 
400 years of no prophets. And so here he's calling someone a prophet. Now, last week we talked about John the Baptist. After he's born, his dad, you know, basically says he will be a prophet, but John the Baptist is still a baby at this point. He's not a prophet yet. He's, he's not an adult. So here we have, as far as we know, the only prophet around at this point, and it's said of this person, Anna, which in case you're wondering, this is not said of Simeon. It's not like, oh, this title was thrown around. Simeon's not called a prophet. Anna is called a prophet. See, the story of Jesus always finds radical ways to include women. And if you miss that detail, you are missing parts of this story. That when Jesus comes, all of a sudden, women have a role at the table like they had never had before. And you have a prophet after a drought of 400 years named Anna. Now it tells us that she's always at the temple. This would be the equivalent today of saying, she never missed a weekend worship service which is pretty impressive. Now, we're in December now, so let's just, uh, for a fun illustration, how many of you, as you look back on 2018, have not missed a single weekend worship service? Raise your hand. Come on, raise, raise your hand. Yeah, just, just right. Oh, okay, that's why none of you are prophets. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you wanna, uh, no. That's why you go, wow, that, doesn't she have a life? Doesn't she go on vacation? I mean, we start thinking of all these reasons why. Well, I'm not here every, you know, every week because da 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 da. She never leaves the temple. She's so committed. She's so expectant of what God is gonna do. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna be around because I want to see God show up. And as I thought about that, you know what I realized? Those who expect much often see much. Why did Simeon and Anna get to see Jesus? Why did they get to hold God as a baby? Well, they expected that they were gonna do it. They, they were waiting for it. They were anticipating it. They were acting upon that. They were longing for more, and they had turned that longing into a healthy expectation, and that's why they got to experience this. Now, you might wonder, well, how did they know what to look for? I mean, how did these two figure it out? And the answer is they were listening. They were listening when other people weren't. They were listening to things that God had already said that other people seemed to have overlooked or seemed to have missed. In particular, I would argue that they had listened to the prophet Isaiah because Isaiah had said so many things about what they were now experiencing to anybody who would listen. Now, for fun, if you wanna dive into a study this week, I'd encourage you, go to the book of Isaiah and read chapters 40 through 55, okay, 40 through 55. And you will be amazed in those chapters how many references are happening in the Christmas story. How many things Isaiah had prophesied about that you're now seeing come to fruition through the Christmas story. And so I would argue Simeon and Anna directly knew Isaiah. They had processed this. So now they are, are you know, eyes open as they watch what God is doing around them. Now, let me illustrate this by, by sharing a few examples from the book of Isaiah that we see happening in the Christmas story. In chapter 42, verse 14 says this. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and I held myself back. This is God speaking. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. Now, everybody, this is the best part of the whole message right here. So if you've tuned out, tune back in, okay? This is God speaking. Did you know that the biblical writers used feminine imagery of God? 
Some of you are getting a little uncomfortable right now. You're like, whoa, what are you talking about? If that bothers you, read the Bible, okay? I don't know what else to tell you. This is God speaking using feminine imagery. This is the point Isaiah is making. God is going to break 400 years of silence. For a long time, I've kept silent. Yeah, like 400 years. He's gonna break 400 years of silence like a woman yelling in labor. Come on, somebody. That is a way to communicate. This is how God's gonna come in. Not like, hey, everybody, just wanna let you know I'm back. It's like, hey, contractions are coming. God's here. I mean, it's like, that is the way Isaiah is communicating this point. And I love this about God. If you think the Bible's boring, read it. Like, it is just amazing. You're going, that's how God wants to communicate himself? Silence is over. And now everybody's gonna know God is back. The Holy Spirit's moving like a woman in childbirth. That's just so fantastic. All right, chapter 49, verse six says it like this. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. How did Simeon know that Israel's Messiah would not just be for Israel? How did he know that this Messiah would be for all nations? Well, Isaiah said that, said that it's gonna be to the ends of the earth, this salvation. And Simeon was listening, he's like, Oh, this isn't just for Israel. And most people in that time are just thinking about Israel, but Simeon had listened. This is gonna be a different kind of salvation. Or in Isaiah 42, verse nine. See, the former things have taken place, and new things, I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Almost like being told that you will see the Messiah before you die. Or did he hear that? Oh yeah, Isaiah talked about that. You begin to see all these parallels. See, Simeon and Anna had listened well when God spoke and they knew what to look for. Their longing led them to a healthy expectation. And once they had that expectation dialed in, it shaped their responses. It shaped their actions. Verse 25 tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is waiting around for the Messiah. He's not just hoping, he's actively doing something ready for when the Messiah shows up. Anna, in verse 37, never left the temple. These are people who are not just kicking back on, yep, hope someday God shows up. They are expecting it so passionately, they're doing something about it. That is what a God expectation does. You know what's amazing? These are the only things that we know about Simeon and Anna. We don't know anything else about them in the New Testament. Nothing else is said of these two people who had the spirit of God and were a prophet. We only know them by their expectations. Isn't that incredible? The only thing we know of them is that they expected much of God. To which I would ask, what are you expecting God to do today? That was what they expected. That they had huge expectations and we tell their story now because of their expectations. What are you expecting God to do? I think expectations are shaped when we begin with gratitude. God, look how you have already shown up. And when we look at gratitude and we look at how God has been at work, that begins to shape us for what he will do next and wants to do next. Let me illustrate like this. This past week, we got to celebrate together as a church staff, and, and we uh, spent an evening together, and, and it was an incredible time with some amazing people to celebrate all that God has done. And I had got together with our exec team, and I said, hey, let's just make a list 
of key things that happened this year or, or things that were a first that had never happened before that we got to see God do this year. And so together we started making this list and the list was way longer than I thought it would be. And I, I took a step back from that list and I went, holy cow, we got to see God do all these things this year, this calendar year. And I shared that with the staff and some of them began tearing up thinking about, wow, I can't believe God did all of this in one year. And we just celebrated that together. That is gratitude. God, you are here, you are at work, you are moving. But that gratitude shapes expectations and shapes as we look ahead. I don't go, wow, God, 2018 was an amazing year as this, as this church. We're ready to be done. We, we are, we're just gonna stop here because we got to see you show up. No, that shapes my expectations of what he wants to do next. And so let me just be real transparent with you. As a, your pastor, what I would love for God to do next, what I'm expecting God to do next in this next season is to take our generosity to another level, to, to, to use us in ways we don't even think possible, to do things in this church that people would say, a local church can't do that, that we would step up and be so generous, so sacrificial, that we would be so invested in the kingdom of God that God would use the local church to do things that the rest of the world would just marvel at. That's my expectation of God because I have seen God show up in such profound ways, but we're not done yet. And so I'm expecting, I'm waiting, I'm anticipating, I'm looking to the future to go, God, this is what I believe you're gonna do next. And this is how it works. So what is it in your life that you go, wow, God, thank you for how you have been present with me already in the, in the midst of my longing, in the midst of this year? And how can I shape my expectations moving forward as a result? So you only realize your expectations if they are met or if they are broken. What are you waiting for God to do in your life? Now, in the story we looked at today, in the Christmas story, a few people had their expectations met. But if you think about it, it's uh, an old man and an old woman, an old widow. Not exactly the power brokers of Israel in that day. Yet they are the ones that have the right expectations to see God. And as we'll see next week, Simeon and Anna are the exceptions. They're not the norm. That most people missed it. Most people did not see that this baby would be the Messiah because their expectations were broken. They were looking for something else. They were expecting something else. And so they did not see it. And the challenge for us is to have the right kind of eyes have the right kind of expectations to learn from Simeon and Anna and go, all right, how do we see what we should see? How do we see what God is going to do next? See, I, I believe that when you as a Christian, when we as the church really embrace this, we will start to expect God to do even greater things, things that would be hard for us to even imagine. And yet the, 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 so, such a sad part is that we expect so little from God most of the time. Most of the time we go about our days and like, hey, God, I got this. If you wanna show up, that would be great. But otherwise, I got things handled. Hey, God, my finances, I don't need you to show up. I'll take care of it myself. I, I'm, I'm good. Hey, God, my career, I don't need you to show up. I'll take care of it myself. My marriage, I don't need you to show up. I'll do it myself. We expect so little from God. And so we don't put ourselves out in faith very often. But what if we said, God, if you don't show up, I'm gonna be in trouble because I'm stepping out in faith. And I'm just about in faith in my finances. I'm just about in faith in my marriage. I'm just about in faith in my career. I'm just about in faith. And if you don't show up, I would be in trouble. That is how you expect much from God. And it's so often we go, oh, God, if, 
If you wanna pop in, that would be great, but otherwise, I'll take care of things myself. I wanna illustrate like this. Imagine that uh, you found your perfect Christmas tree. And so you go to a Christmas tree lot and you find the one. You know it's the one if you're hugging a Christmas tree in a photo, right? So if you see this little person, uh, I think it's a girl, she is hugging a Christmas tree. But that's a pretty big tree. I don't know how big your house is. That would not fit in my house. And so imagine that moment where you go, oh, this is the tree. This is the tree I want. This, this would be the ultimate Christmas tree. Now, for most of us, we'd go, well, it won't fit. It's too big. You need to give the, hug, uh, give the tree a hug and move along and keep walking because it'll never work. But what if you learn to change your expectations? Well, then you might have something like this. Friends, that's next level stuff right there. If you're wondering what you're looking at, this is an optical illusion, they literally put the tree in to the height of their ceiling, cut it off, and put the top part on their roof. That's next level stuff, that's amazing. Because they're expecting that they can do something far beyond what the rest of us expect. And I wonder, what if we lived out our faith like this? When everyone else goes, oh, That'll never work, you can't do that. You're like, yep, that's true, but God could. And I'm gonna expect God to show up. I'm gonna expect God to do things that I could not do. What kind of things would we experience if we lived out our faith like that? See, when it comes to Jesus, it's so easy to have the wrong expectations or to have no expectations. But what if we walked away and said, God, we are going to expect much from you and we saw him show up. I wanna close with one more verse in Isaiah. Seems appropriate. Simeon and Anna read Isaiah. They knew what to look for. What if we knew what to look for even today? Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Let's pray together. God, may we perceive the new thing you are doing. May we see it and experience it and expect it from you. May we not live such small lives based on what we can control and what we can do, but may we expect much from you. May we learn how to listen when your spirit speaks to us, that we would know what to look for, we would know what to expect, and we would live boldly in faith upon those expectations. May we resonate with the stories of Simeon and Anna as we learn from them and learn to see you in the same ways today. May we be a church, a community, and all of our sites and all those watching online, may we be those who are defined and shaped and seen by how we expect much from you and how we see you do much in the process. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, And all God's people said, amen.